The text for this morning's sermon is Micah 4, 1 to 5. Micah 4, beginning at verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. As far our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the early 20th century there was a movement, especially in Europe, that glorified war. War was for the brave. War was the opportunity for heroes. And then came World War I, which destroyed any notion that war is glamorous. Millions of people lost their lives in a senseless war. Now, two years ago marked the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. World War I was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. That's what they called it. The League of Nations was formed. People tried to promote peace, but it didn't work. 20 years after World War I, the Nazis came to power in Germany. In 1939, the world was at war again. More death, more destruction. The world longs for peace. The world longs for a day described in our text in Micah 4. When nation will not lift up sword against nation, when the peoples beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, everyone wants this peace. And God promises that this peace will come. He's promised it in his word here. But how does that happen? How does that peace come? What God wants us to see is that this peace comes when the nations come to him and listen to his word. That's key. Here our God describes how nations will come to his holy mountain for worship. They want to walk in his ways. And by listening to God's word, they experience God's blessing. What we want to see is that the words of our text are also fulfilled among us as we gather for worship this morning as God's people. So I proclaim to you God's word under the following theme. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that he might teach us his ways. 
with three points. First of all, God raises his temple mount for worldwide worship. Second, the nations stream to it to hear God's word. And third, the Lord blesses the nations with peace and prosperity. So verse 1 of our text begins with this intriguing promise about the future. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come. Now what is this mountain of the Lord? Well, in the time of Micah, it referred to the high point in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And on this high point, the temple stood in Jerusalem. And the Old Testament Israelites often streamed there from all over the land for worship. Think of Psalm 122, which we sang earlier. The tribes are going up to Zion, to Jerusalem, to worship God at his temple. Strikingly, the Spirit says through Micah, a time is coming when peoples from every nation will stream to the mountain of the Lord for worship. What does he mean? Well, we should take note that this sort of thing initially happened in the time of Solomon. During Solomon's time, the temple was built. And soon afterwards, people from the nation started coming to Jerusalem to hear the word of God. Think of the Queen of Sheba. That was a start. However, this prophecy calls for something much greater than that. And we do get a fulfillment in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He often stood in the temple courts teaching and preaching. And people also from other nations came to hear him. In John 12, some Greeks came and asked Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Yet again, this text calls for a greater fulfillment. The text talks about the latter days. What are these latter days? Well, some people in the greater Christian world have taken the latter days to mean the last days right before Christ returns again. This is the teaching of dispensationalism. Some people take a literal approach to this prophecy. They believe that before the last judgment, of judgment Christ will come down from heaven. He will establish a thousand-year reign upon the earth in Jerusalem, and they believe the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. But that, of course, is a big mistake. We should not expect a return to Israel's worship in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ made that temple obsolete. The latter days in our text do not refer specifically to the time right before Christ's coming, they just describe a future time of God's working, where he would bring his promises to fulfillment. It's the age of the Messiah, from the first coming of Christ to the last coming of Christ. But not only that, the mountain of the Lord does not refer to the physical temple mount in Jerusalem. Describe something else. Remember what we read in John 4. Samaritan woman said to Jesus, Our Samaritan forefathers worshipped on this mountain in Samaria. Would you say in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship? And that was true. But Jesus replies, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
The hour is coming, says Jesus. The latter days, as Micah prophesies. After the time of Christ, there's no longer a physical hill or city that believers must go to to worship at. What counts is that we worship in spirit and in truth. So what does God mean by making the mountain of the house of the Lord chief among the mountains? Well, here we must turn to our reading from Hebrews 12. And in that chapter, the author tells the believers what happens... In their worship. He says, you have not come in your worship to that what might be touched. A physical mountain like Mount Sinai. But you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. To the heavenly Jerusalem. To innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. The Jerusalem above, with its heavenly temple where God dwells, is the true mountain of God. And God has established that heavenly mountain as a place for worldwide worship. Jesus Christ, in his ascension, ascended the mountain of the Lord into the heavenly Jerusalem. And he established the Mount Zion above as a place of worldwide worship. So in our worship here on earth, us here today, we believers have come to Mount Zion in heaven to worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, this is so important to see. You know, what do we do in our worship services? We might think, well, we come to this church building, we sing some songs, we listen to a sermon, and we go home. That's a deficient description of worship. It's not good enough. What do we do here in church? What are we doing gathered here together as believers? We are fulfilling this prophecy of Micah 4. You here today are fulfilling this prophecy of Micah 4. As the author of Hebrews describes in Hebrews 12, we come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We add our voices to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, praising God. And God speaks to us from his throne as his word is faithfully preached. I want you to see It's an awesome thing to be a part of. It's a great privilege to be a part of this worship. Think of God's grace in this also. When God descended on Mount Sinai, the Israelites weren't even allowed to touch the mountain. Or they would be put to death. When God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem, only the priests were allowed in that temple. The regular people, if they went in there, they would be put to death. But here, people from all nations are allowed to come to Mount Zion into the very presence of God in his heavenly temple and worship him. And that's what we are doing as we worship God this morning. 
And this is only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross. See, without the blood of Christ, this access to God would be impossible. Listen to Hebrews 12 again. You have come not only to the heavenly Jerusalem, but you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why does the sprinkled blood of Christ speak a better word than the blood of Abel? Well, it's because the blood of Abel, shed by Cain, can only call out for justice. It can only call out for vengeance. But the blood of Christ calls out for forgiveness. The blood of Christ calls out for salvation for God's people. And it's this blood of the cross that gives us access to God. This is why we can come into God's presence this morning through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. As Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of of Jesus. Brings us to our next point. The nation stream to this mountain to hear God's word. Now in the ancient world, temples and the worship of idols often took place on mountains. I think only of the Greek gods, they were said to live on Mount Olympus. And since the gods were above the worshipers were above, the worshipers would try to get as close to them as possible. So when God declares through Micah that his mountain will be established as the highest and lifted above the other hills, he's implicitly saying that the nations will stop being attracted to their old places of worship, like Mount Olympus. They will recognize Yahweh's temple mount in heaven to be the only true place of worship. And finally, the nations will stop worshiping their idols, and they will come and they will worship the Lord. Listen to verses 1 and 2. The mount of the Lord will be raised up, and all people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. People are flowing like a river, flowing even uphill. They're irresistibly attracted to the Lord and to his word. Now, in the ancient world, people often flocked to idols, temples, and places of worship. Again, one such place was Olympia in Greece. And there's a, there in a temple was a statue of Zeus sitting on his throne. And reaching heights of over 40 feet tall, made of gold and ivory, the statue of Zeus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And for almost 1,000 years, people from all over the world streamed to that temple in Greece to take a look at that magnificent statue, statue of Zeus. It's a symbol of power, wealth, and human achievement. However, despite all its glory and the attraction to ancient worshipers, the statue of Zeus was still lifeless. Could not save the worshipers, could not help them or give them hope. And then, in the time of the apostles, the gospel came to Greece. 
Finally, many people, they abandon their useless old religions and they turn to the living God through the Word of God. What has attracted them? It's the Word of God. It's the Gospel. Listen to verse 2. There the nations say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law or instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's the word of God that attracts the nations to worship our God. The word of God is pulling them. That's because the Holy Spirit is working through that word, enlightening hearts, giving them faith. This is one reason why we don't have statues or images here in our church building, right? Statues cannot give us life, but the Word of God gives us true life. That's why the pulpit is central here in this building. As we gather at the heavenly Jerusalem, God is instructing us through His Word. That's what gives us life. see this, something of this in John 4. The woman of Samaria, she was captivated by Jesus' teaching. And later on, she went back into the city, and what did she tell the people there? Come. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. You can hear an echo of Micah 4. Come, let's go. Listen to this person, Jesus, as he teaches us. So all the people from the towns in Samaria, they were coming there to listen to the Lord and to his instruction. And later on they confess, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's what happens with, when the word of God goes out to the nations. People hear that word and they are convicted. Yes, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. This prophecy continues to be fulfilled in things like mission work. Christ is sending out his word to the ends of the earth. As people believe in Christ, they're given eternal life. They finally worship the Lord. Beloved, that word has come to us. Let me ask you, are you one of these worshipers here in Micah 4? Do you eagerly come to church to worship your God? Do you come with a hungry heart and listening ears ready to hear God's word? So then rejoice, this prophecy is fulfilled in you. Do you see that? What a, what a joy, what a, what a privilege. Let's continue to encourage one another to join in worship together, hearing God's word. On the other hand, if you're inclined to stay away, or come reluctantly. Let me ask you, why, why is that? It seems that something is missing in your thinking, something's wrong in your heart. 
Maybe it's because you don't worship with the eyes of faith. You don't understand how God blesses us through the preaching. Whatever it might be, let me encourage you right now, come. Come join us always. Worship the Lord together. Don't stay away. Come. Hear God's word. It's the greatest privilege on earth. If you're new to this church or visiting today, then let me encourage you also, come join us in worshiping, hearing the word of God. I want you to join us sharing our joy in the Lord. Through that word of God, we will receive great blessings. That brings us to our last point. Verses 3 and 4 describe the blessings that come to the nations through the word of God. Two things are mentioned here. The nations receive both peace and prosperity. God will judge between people and nations. It says they will turn their weapons of destruction into tools of production. Swords and spears are beaten into plowshares and pruning hooks. Or maybe we could say AK-47s are turned into pipe wrenches. It's for the plumbers in the congregation. Every man will be able to sit under his vine and fig tree. None shall make them afraid. How does this peace and prosperity come? Well, there are many false hopes in the world. You could think of the United Nations formed after World War II. And these verses hang on a placard in the, U, in the United Nations building. Many hope world peace can be won by diplomacy. But it's a false hope. These blessings ultimately come as the nations listen to the Word of God. See, the Word of God so transforms people within a nation, and when it does that enough, ultimately the culture is transformed too. And blessings of peace and prosperity follow in their wake. See, the gospel of Christ brings peace between those who were at war. There are numerous examples in history. You can think of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the early church. All throughout the Old Testament, they were at war with each other. But through the gospel, God made believing Jews and believing Gentiles one. There was love and fellowship, finally. God made peace through the cross. There are examples in our time, too. One commentator gives an example of two men who fought in World War II. One man from the United States Air Force named Jacob DeShazer, he bombed Japan in air raids. But at one point, he was captured by Japanese soldiers and thrown in prison. In prison, a guard provided him a Bible. And there, he was converted to Christ. And he asked God to forgive those who tortured him there. It's amazing. Now, there was another man of the Japanese Air Force named Mitsuo Fuchida. He took part in the bombing of Pearl Harbor. After the war, Fuchida was converted to Christ through a Christian ministry, uh, missionary. 
And after his conversion, what did he do? Well, he went to Pearl Harbor so that he could preach the gospel of Christ. The very place he once bombed. Not only that, but sometime later, these two men, they met each other in Japan. They once stood opposed to each other as enemies, but now they were at peace. They had become one through their faith in Jesus Christ. They had embraced each other in love, serving the Lord. And this is a peace that the gospel brings. Let's pray that this gospel goes out into all the world. That's what this hurting, this broken world needs. The word of God, it needs the gospel of Christ. This is what we need too. The word of God, the gospel, brings peace between fighting people. Wherever there's strife in our relationships, in our homes, what's needed? The word of the Lord. The gospel of grace is needed to end fighting between people. You see, if everyone submitted to the word of God in their lives in all things, we would find that the strife in relationships would disappear. So if you find yourself having strife in any of your relationships with anyone... First, look at yourself. Ask yourself, is there a part of my life where I, I, where I am not submitting to God's word? Is there a part of my life where I'm acting contrary to God's word? Am I not letting God's word instruct me? Am I living in light of the gospel of grace? Do I treat other people in light of the gospel of grace? where we need to begin to end strife in relationships. And if that doesn't help, then ask spirit-filled people for help. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul tells the believers, if any one of you has a grievance against each other, go to the saints for help. Spirit-filled believers who follow God's word are given also by Christ to settle disputes between fighting people. As we still look at a world that engages in war, as we deal with disputes in our personal lives, we can still look forward in hope. It's true that perfect peace will not come in this life, but it is coming. The ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy will come when Christ comes. He will judge between the nations. He will bring the heavenly Jerusalem down to renewed earth. And then there will be perfect peace. No war, but only God's blessing. Let's end with the final words of our text in our hearts. All the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together Psalm 48, stanzas 1, 3, and 4.